we're not a powerlifting company. We're a human movement company. We're just on the, the, the loaded side of things because there's a couple of lessons that I think people can learn there. Because I see this a lot of times where people think that they're doing it or they think that they're managing things, things appropriately until we actually apply some load. And they're like, oh my God, I really wasn't you know, engaging and inflating my core and working my obliques the way that I should to hold these. I thought I was. I thought I was doing this stuff because we get the closer we push to those limits of our capability, the more that, uh, that we find out what we are doing and what we're not doing. Hi, I'm Pete McCall. Welcome to this episode of All About Fitness. That voice you heard in the beginning is Chris Duffin, known as the mad scientist of strength. Chris is one of the founders of Kabuki Strength, a studio and collective out of Portland, Oregon. Chris Duffin has a background in powerlifting, and I found out, kind of came across him on Instagram. Somebody had told me he's doing some really good stuff, and that Kabuki Strength Labs do some really cool stuff. I started following them, and I was blown away. I was blown away at what Chris was doing. I was, I was you know, I, I love some of his techniques. We're both kind of doing some similar stuff and how he boats training. But what's, back, what's different about Chris is he has a background as a competitive powerlifter, and powerlifting is a very unique sport. It's a very unique subset. The other thing that's interesting about Chris is his background. You know, Chris just has a book out. It's, you know, he has a best-selling book out. I'm going to have a link to it below in the show notes. Just released this summer. It's called The Eagle and the Dragon. It's not a workout book. It's a story about his strength and reinvention because it turns out that Chris had a really rough childhood. Chris grew up homeless. Chris grew up having to look for his own food. You know, and while some people could take that kind of upbringing and, and go down this really dark path and, and, and have a really miserable life and inflict misery and pain on others, that didn't have to happen. It's all about mindset. In this interview today, you're going to hear about why, about mindset and how exercise plays a role in that. You know, if you want to talk about having a positive mindset, if you want to talk about doing positive things in your life, exercise gets you there. Working out gets you there. Exercise gives you a goal. If you're training for something like powerlifting, you're trained to hit a goal. You know, when you hear this interview today, I don't want you to think just about the sport of exercise or sport, but the sport of powerlifting. I don't want you to think about exercise. I want you to think about other things in your life, about obstacles in your life. Have you had those hard challenges at work? Have you had those hard challenges at home? Well, guess what, folks? Having the ability, having the focus in order to train to hit goals, whether it's powerlifting, running, whatever it is, having that focus to train and hit goals sets you in a different mindset. That's what we talk about today. That's what I want you to hear. Yeah, there's some exercise techniques. Yeah, there's some cool stuff that Chris is doing with Kabuki Strength that's really kind of setting new trends. But what I really want you to pay attention to today is the fact that we all have choices. You, have, you can change your mindset. You can take the right approach. No matter what, you can have a horrible childhood like Chris did, you know what, but you overcome it. The mindset, the having the mindset will help you overcome whatever obstacles you have in life. This is a very important message to hear right now with all these things going on in our society is that yes, you have the ability to change your circumstances. That's what we talk about today. You know, weightlifting, lifting a bar gives you the strength to change your physical, phys- physical ability, but it also gives you the mental fortitude to do other things in your life. So that's what we talk about in this episode of All About Fitness. It's Chris Duffin with Kabuki Strength Lab. You're going to hear a quick word from the sponsors of All About Fitness. 
But I really want to say before that goes on, there are a couple people left some really just absolutely amazing reviews. And, and folks, you know how this stuff works. I mean, now I say this almost every episode as I do the introduction. I just try to put this content out there. All I'm trying to really help you do is learn how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. So to my listeners, Bernie, PR, and uh, Sarah, the Magnificent, I'm sure you're Magnificent, Sarah and Bernie, thank you guys so much for those wonderful reviews you left. That really, it absolutely means a lot to me. I love the fact that you guys aren't in the fitness industry, but are still getting some benefits out of the podcast. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. So again, thank you for those reviews. If you've got a moment, please leave a review. No matter how you listen all about fitness, let others know you're getting some benefit from the podcast because I'm just trying to put great content out there to help you change your quality of life. After a quick word from the sponsors of All About Fitness, Chris Duffin, the mad scientist of strength. It's a platform. It's a balance tool. You can do a ton of different exercises on it. Guys, you've been listening to me talk about the Terracor. You've been hearing Terracor ads on All About Fitness. Well, I've got great news for you. You. I went to the folks at Terracore. The code AAF, I changed the code. The code AAF now gets you a 25%. That is 25, 25% savings on a Terracore. Use code AAF to save 25% on a Terracore. What is Terracore? Don't go to TerracoreFitness.com. That is TerracoreFitness.com. T-E-R-R-A corefitness.com and check out one of the coolest products in fitness. See why Men's Health voted it one of the top fitness at home products that you should have for your workouts. Check out TerraCore Fitness on Instagram to see some amazing tricks. Again, TerraCore now is 25% off through All About Fitness. Use code AAF to save 25% on the purchase of a TerraCore. My, my training partner, my, my training partner, is seventy years old, by the way. <laughs> oh, dude, that's awesome! Yeah. How long have you been training with uh, with him? Uh, a little over a decade. That's cool. Was it? Was he a powerlifter or? Yeah, he is. He's got uh, competes as a one ninety eight er. He's got a you know mid five hundreds deadlift, a you know upper four hundred pound squat, and over a three hundred pound bench is a uh, is a tested uh, one ninety eight pounds seventy year old. So. Um, I'd say pretty fucking good. He, he, he's so young. He's so young. It's just crazy. So, well, let me ask you this. Is this, does that give you motivation? I'm just going to jump right into the interview here. Does that give you motivation, Chris, mm-hmm. to, uh, to train when you work out with somebody who's that much older than you? Absolutely. I mean, just, you know, seeing, seeing him and where he's at, uh, just as a huge motivation to continue down the path because I meet people that are 10, 20 years younger than him and they, they're you mentally are not the same space. Like they don't look the same. It's not just like the muscle. Like he, you can, you can tell just that entire youthful vitality is there from, from, from him being an active person and challenging himself. Well, and I like that because what I like about that for people who exercise and what I'd like you train with somebody in their seventies. And what I like about that is exercise does keep people young. I mean, do you feel right now, do you ever feel the question I have? And I just recently celebrated a birthday quiz, Chris. I always wonder, I should feel, I always feel like I should feel older than I really am. Do you ever have, do you ever question that yourself? Do you like, don't you think sometimes I should feel old, but you really don't? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I question it anymore, but I just, I, I just laugh at people because they were like, oh, when you hit 30, you're going to, oh, you just don't know yet. Once you hit 35, once you hit 40, once you, and I'm like, 
you know, I'm, I, I'm going to be hitting my mid forties, you know, in just a little while. And I'm, I'm still just cranking along. And, uh, you know, it's like every time everybody's like, they just keep moving that up, you know, just you wait, just you wait. And I'm like, well, I, I keep waiting. <laughs> Well, and that's it. I, I turned forty. I turned forty-seven this year, and I've started riding skate parks again on my BMX bike. You know, I've been mountain biking for years, and I finally just I got tired of going to skate, going to parks here in Southern California where I live, and seeing everybody have fun on bikes and skateboards. So I tried to start doing that. When was the last time you tried to learn a new skill or try to pick up a, a new activity? Um, well, we could get into uh, uh, some philosophy stuff there if we get too far. Uh, because I, I honestly, I don't try to acquire a whole lot of new skills just because I have so much going in my life with the businesses that I manage and all that. Um, but, uh, a lot of, a lot of people that are, you know, in the game at the level I am are very much like their physical activity is just that sport where, you know, I'll go up on the mountain bike or sorry, go up on the mountain and it may be a day or two after squatting 800 pounds for reps and I'll be, you know, shredding with on, on my snowboard or things like that. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely am out and about doing things, but I wouldn't say that I'm out trying to necessarily acquire uh, some new physical skills at this time, because that's uh, uh, when you're competing, you know, the things that I do in the in the space that I do, um, I'm. I'm the best in the world at the things that I do. Nobody can duplicate these experiences and you can't, you can't perform at that level. And I'm not saying this is a good thing, uh, but I'm saying if you, if you want to accomplish things in a physical nature in the world that no one else has ever been able to do, you're not going to be necessarily a well-rounded uh, athlete. Hmm. That makes sense. Uh, totally makes sense. I like that because it means that you're you're saying that you specialize then and, and take years to specialize a skill set as opposed to trying to develop a, a well-rounded set of skills. Exactly, and and, and I don't I, I have no bias for one one way or the other. You know, people always ask me. They're like, "Oh, your kids? They're going to grow up to be powerlifters too, right?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Why would they happen to like? I, I don't care. I I do care that they take up something." that they are physically active people. And that is a requirement, but at least while they're under my influence. Right. But I, they don't need to go down the same path as me. And I'd actually like to not see that happen uh, because that means that I probably am having some sort of uh, uh, influence and in trying to, you know, I, I don't need them to follow in my steps or do something that I never, that I hope to do and didn't, didn't accomplish or whatever that is. Well, I like, how old are your kids? If you don't mind my asking. A ten, seven, and one and a half. <laughs> That's a nice spread. You know, I, my, mine are five and seven. And what I've what I've said for years is that my job is to help them become physically active. What that means is up to them. What what it means? Uh, they're they're in soccer camp right now. Um, my my daughter's not too enthused about that because she's she she's preferring the gymnastics, but she's got gymnastics on Thursday. Uh, so. You know, when they get out on their bikes uh, this weekend, they were out canoeing on the lake, you know, like I like I said, I don't care what it is, but I believe that humans need to be physical for both emotional, mental, spiritual health. Like all these things are, are all attached. You can't, you know, you, you, you can't miss one of them. Like you should be focused on all those things and uh, anyone lacking is going to affect the others. 
Well, on that note, let's, let me ask you, how'd you get started in powerlifting then? Because I want to talk about the mental, the kind of the mental aspects of powerlifting. And I think, you know, how did you get started in powerlifting and how was that? Why? It doesn't seem like a complicated sport, but why is it such a mentally challenging sport? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I, I am retired from it uh, as of like four years ago. But uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I've been training for 30 years. So I started training in 1988. Um, just because I, um, maybe it's, maybe it's cause I'm a massive nerd and I wanted to counterbalance, you know, some of that with the physical nature. And so I started doing sports, started lifting weights to help him impact my, uh, my, my, you know, my, my physical nature in sports. And, you know, at that age, obviously for appearance and things like that, uh, it, it influences a teenager. We'll say that <laughs> a teenager's decisions. And in 2000, I was training uh, just at a gym, like, you know, like I do. And there was a couple guys in there and they were training for a bodybuilding show and they looked better than me. They were bigger than me, but I ran circles around them in the gym. I lifted more weight. I did, I did more work. And I'm like, God, if these guys are prepping for that, you know, obviously bodybuilding is not my thing because I'm already outworking them, but they look better than me, you know? Um, so I'm like, well, I'm stronger than everybody or a lot of people in general. Let me, let me find out, uh, about a, a bench press competition. So I went looking and I found a bench press and a deadlift competition and I showed up, uh, to compete at that, had to learn what a deadlift was at the time. Cause you know, back then there wasn't the internet, the other stuff. So, you know, you had Arnold's encyclopedia bodybuilding and stuff like that. And, uh, in the gym, uh, you didn't see people doing things like that at the time. And, uh, I'm like, this is just a one-off thing just so that I can say that I've competed, that I've done this, this thing. Right. And I did it. And that day I was like, oh, oh, so yeah, I'm doing this the rest of my life. <laughs> it was just, just one of those things like, you know, and that's why I encourage people. You, you, you asked about acquiring new skills and I'm a big promoter of like doing that, like. Um, I'm not doing that right now because of, you know, how far down the path I've gone on one discipline. But, you know, you need to you never know where you're going to find that thing, you know, that um, that that really engages you or allows you to express yourself in a manner that really means something. And uh, so we should always, you know, be exploring and trying to find those things. And uh, for me, it was just like showing up at that competition ended up at influencing the entire rest of my life. Well, in looking at it, you know, and this is actually a great chance to, to talk about, Chris, the, the eagle and the dragon, because you talk about you know, your journey, you know, a journey that you had growing up. How did finding powerlifting help you kind of develop a new, a new outlook on, on kind of your journey going through life? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've always been one to, you know, try to chase the challenge, and in a matter of, you know, my upbringing, there was just a lot of challenges. I didn't really have to seek it out, you know, growing up homeless and, you know, uh, living in the woods and foraging for food and, and uh, you know, trying to figure out uh, how you're going to bathe or, you know, do a hike to get some clean water. Uh, you know, that's uh, uh, there's there's enough challenges coming your way. Right. Uh, but uh as I grew older, I realized I needed to, to seek those things out. And just, just that same way, like my, 
I, I, I viewed myself as like an introvert, you know, growing up, um, you know, I going to school, I just go from one class to the next class. I just, you know, didn't really have a lot of relationships, didn't interact, um, was really quiet around people. And I chose a career in leadership. <laughs> like I went to school to be an engineer and I got done with my engineering degree and I'm like, nah, I'm going to be a manager and a leader. It, complete opposite of where I would thought my natural skills were. But I, you know, it's like, this is, this is challenging. This is something that, um, you know, uh, I think is going to help me be a better, you know, a better person and round out some of those skills. And, um, you know, I've always been a physical person and definitely was physical without training prior to, to starting training. And I was involved in athletics, but after, after high school, I didn't have an outlet for that. I was supposed to go wrestle in, uh, wrestle in college, but uh, I ended up getting a full ride academic scholarship to a college that didn't have wrestling. And so training just became, you know, uh, a thing, a hobby, an outlet. And, and, uh, there was just, you know, I was doing it for myself when there's nothing wrong with that. But when I found a way to have some goals out there to chase things to like, I was like, okay, this is, this is something that I'm going to, that I'm going to run after. And I don't know if that answers your question uh, directly. Well, but. well it, it kind of does. And what I like about that, though, is you're kind of showing a, a very diverse background. And one thing, these things that comes to mind, Chris, and just, just reading it and hearing a little bit about your background growing up is I'm thinking about all the parents that, that I'm around these days and how protective we are of their kids. Now, obviously, you had a very, I would say, challenging childhood, but do you think sometimes that we're overprotective our, of our kids? Don't you think we need to let kids get some scraped knees and get a few stitches as they grow up? Oh, absolutely. Like that's, <laughs> that is part of, you know, growing up is, uh, <laughs> and I definitely see that. I mean, we could, I can go on rants about that and the uh, everybody's a winner uh, type mentality that we see in some areas. And, um, but, uh, uh yeah, the, the helicopter parenting, you know, I, 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 you know, being a parent, you know, obviously I understand that you want everything for your kids. You want to protect them. Um, but at the same time, like you're not going to be able to build resilience into them. And, you know, resilience is something, I mean, that is what strength training is all about is developing. Uh, I actually used this terminology in an email with you yesterday, but you know, resilience to be able to withstand stress of the physical nature. Right. And, but it goes well beyond that. And, uh, you know, you, you can't over baby someone. And it, it's funny, you know, uh, my daughter, she's just, she, she's tough. Like she'll, something bad will happen. She just gets up and pops up and she's just like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, but my son is the opposite. And I have to, I always have to like purposely ignore him sometimes because he'll, you know, he got a cut on the top of his foot the other day. He, he spent like three days limping. <laughs> I'm like, I just completely ignore it. Like completely. It was a, it was a burn. We had to get, you know, some antibiotic cream uh, for it because it was, you know, got a little infected, but he's wearing flip flops, you know, to, you know, so the shoe wasn't on it, but he was limping. <laughs> and I'm like, 
<laughs> I'm like, no, no, that does not affect the bottom of your foot. But I just completely ignored it, just completely. And then after a while, he just quit doing it. So, <laughs> but, but look at this, because if we baby, like, look at what you've accomplished in powerlifting, right? Because you had some of a challenging childhood, you were not going to let something that, like a little weight on a bar defeat you. You know, so I think, you know, how is that how has that led to your kind of overall outlook on life? I mean, you're somebody just from reading your, through your background, you're somebody who's, who to me strikes me as somebody who doesn't let circumstances get in their way, but you find a way around that. Absolutely. I mean, that is, um, you know, a big well, if, you know, if we talk about the book there and then kind of frame it back into lifting. But um uh, self-actualization is like the cornerstone of like the con- concepts that are covered in the, in the book. There's a lot more than that, but it's, uh, you're not a product. I mean, obviously your environment affects you, but it is not at the core who you are. Those things that happen to you are not a definition. And we can talk about bad shit, uh, that happens to people, but they you're defined by how you respond to those things. And so, you know, that, that overprotective helicoptering, you know, parent definitely changes how people respond and certainly doesn't allow people the opportunity to learn what their strengths are. And that is a, that is a key thing. Like in the leadership world, this is what I, you know, I had a very successful uh, uh, corporate career and a lot of it came through taking, you know, identifying, you know, people that had a lot of potential and scaring them, like <laughs> literally, but by you know putting them in charge of like accomplishing you know some project or task or thing that that was there was a big deal that scared them, like they were not sure, like oh my god, I I don't know if I can pull this off, and mm-hmm. and you know that that's an example of you know how to induce some level of fear. To actually draw out that person when they accomplish that, you don't, you, you could, the, the, the full, you know, raw, raw leadership stuff. And again, this, you could think about it with, with kids, like if they know they didn't really do something and you're just sitting there, like I'm going to raw, raw, you know, just pump them up, blah, 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 you know, like at the end of the day, in their gut, they know that not much really happens. It really isn't doing anything. But if they, if you, you know, challenge them with something that takes real commitment, that they're scared, that they don't even know how they can accomplish it, and then they pull it off, of course you want to follow that up with a congratulations and a well done. But you don't even really need to do that to actually, for them to get the intrinsic value of that and actually start changing who they are so that next thing you know, you turn around, they're like, hey, Chris, I, I just signed up to get my bachelor's degree. I've been thinking about it for the last 20 years, something I always wanted to do. But, you know, and it's like you start seeing this like changes in their personal life and other things like when that that real confidence starts building up. And uh, so another example of that is we, we support the Special Olympics. We um, uh, we have uh, the special needs uh, kids and adults. Uh, come to our gym and we put on, we, we host the competitions where they compete at, but we also uh, have a coach that trains them and you should see what actually, because they know if I put five pounds on that bar, 
I put five pounds on that bar. Like it's, and seeing the change by adding that, you know, is huge. It's the, their self-esteem changes, their view of themselves changes, like all these things. And like I said, you could be a, a an amazing supportive parent, but not really be able to build those qualities and that confidence of that level by actually having something out there that's challenging them and that they've overcome on their own and they know it and they know it was a big deal to pull it off. And see, that's, and you take that back. So let's extrapolate that back to, to powerlifting. So again, that's so many lessons. Yeah. So many lessons from the gym. Like people can learn so much from the gym about life, but they, they don't, they don't choose to, or they don't see like, Oh, like my training is actually project planning. I could put that to place in like starting my own business or managing these things in my life. Right. Um, you know, that I want to get from here to here and I created a plan and I, I executed it and I had these, you know, uh, you know, maybe not injuries, but other things coming up and I figured out how to deal with them. And, you know, like, oh, it, and this discipline for showing up every day really pays off and like putting in the effort. And and, uh, you know, you know, if I push myself, I actually see better results. And, you know, like there's so many lessons from the gym. You know, well, oh, hey, surround me. myself, surround myself with the right people for for training partners. Oh, my God. What does that do f- from having the wrong people around me or trying to strike it out on my own? And, yeah, I could strike it out on my own and it can work. But I've got to demonstrate these qualities. And if I do, wow. And people don't like we can learn so much from the iron game about your relationships at home, business, like, like, you know, all these things. And sometimes I, I think people don't put the two together. They can succeed. You see people that really succeed, like, you know, in let's say their business life, but can't execute in the gym. They don't put those same things in place or people that can execute this decade over decade in the gym, but their life is crap. And it's like, if you just put like what you do in the gym into place in your life, you would be so successful. Well, let me because what because how scared were you? Because I'm thinking back to being in my you know I don't lift as, as heavy anymore, but I'm thinking back to being in my meathead days. And there are sometimes you load up a bar and you get a little bit. Was, was there ever a weight that scared you that that you looked at and you go, oh shit, how am I going to do this? So uh, uh, you need to practice being in that space, and this is this is something that you need to practice for business, for life, whatever, because you never know where something's going to come out of nowhere and hit you um, that's going to take you that you have to step up to the game. Right. And, and just like in the gym. So if I walked up to a thousand pounds in the bar, it's scary. Like that weight can crush you. It can break your bones. It can kill you. It, it literally, like, it literally can. It, it literally I'm not can. making this up. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, less than that weight can kill you. Okay. So you've got to respect it. But if you walk up to that bar and get under it and you've got the capability of pulling it off, but you're afraid, too afraid, you won't be able to pull it off. You'll be second guessing yourself when you're in the moment and that will change and make you fail. So this is why we have to practice being in that space of fear so that when it comes time, we can know that we just got to focus on taking action. And when you try to change that mental, that mental game, which uh, that's like basically the whole definition behind the, 
the people always ask me, what does Kabuki strength mean? What does the Kabuki and Kabuki strength mean? Uh, we supply the equipment and methods, but at the end of the day, you've got to put your, you know, your game day face on, your Kabuki mask, um, your, you know, mental attitude. Uh, we can't supply that. That comes from you. It comes internally and nobody else, nobody else in the world. I can write things to try to influence it, which is why I wrote my book to help give you those tools. Uh, but you got to put that on and you got to practice putting that on so that it's not something new. I mean, you could, have, you, that- you could be a war hero 30 years ago, 40 years ago that saved his squadron and did these, got the, you know, the, the medal of honor and did all that stuff. But then you got soft mentally. Right. And 40 years later, something happens, you know, there's a car crash and there's a, there's a kid in there and whatever. And you don't do what you did. You executed, you, 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 you froze in the moment, scared of what would happen. Don't get soft. We all have, you have to practice training against adversity, against stress. This is, this is the human condition. The human condition is we adapt to stress and it's the only thing that brings about change. So if you don't have stressors physically, what, what happens? We begin to atrophy the process of death, okay? The same things happen mentally, emotionally, all these, if we're not, this is the only way to live, in my opinion. Again, you know, we all have different choices in how we want to live. Uh, but uh, in my opinion, the only way to live is by growing. And the only way to grow is to have challenges and be overcoming them and adapting and becoming better versions of ourselves. And every time you're going to fail, not every time, but what I meant to say was every once in a while you're going to fail. How have you, I mean, what's been your, you know, if you didn't hit that lift or maybe something in business didn't go the way you thought it would, how do you kind of dust yourself off, tie your shoes and and get back into the game? I, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to tell a story from someone else's perspective because I didn't really realize how much, uh, or how I respond to things like that, um, so a, a good friend of mine, very successful individual, was very close to me on this uh, preparation uh, for, uh, for competition. And I was going after a number I'd been chasing for like eight years. And I put like nine months of just dedicating myself to pulling this off. And uh, the day of the meet's there, he's there supporting me. And it's not going to plan. And... Uh, He's like, I didn't, he's like, I was so stressed because I've watched you like prepare for this for nine months. I know how big it is. He's like, I was getting sick to my stomach. I felt like throwing up for you, knowing that all that was for waste and you didn't pull it off. And he's like, so I walk up to you, like thinking that you're in the same mental space and asked you how you're doing. And you just looked at me like that it hadn't even happened. And you started talking about the next goal, the next thing. So literally, like, he's like, you, you, you just moved on. Like, you don't dwell on those things. And I, and I, think, I, I think back on my failures, and I can, I can try to come up with failures and other things, but I'm actually not very good at it because I kind of <laughs> forget them and move. Like, I don't dwell on them. I, I try to learn lessons from them, but it's not something that, that eats you up. So you got to just turn that focus to what's the next thing. You can't change the past. It's kind of like Tom Brady's saying, we we, we define and control our future. 
Totally. But you, you know what I say is that that's like Tom Brady saying on to Cincinnati, right? They get beat and what they do, they don't dwell on the loss. They just move on to the next competition. Yeah. Now you're stupid yeah, if you yeah. don't do some sort of assessment to, you know, understand what what opportunities, what things can you change, but don't like that's that's all focused on how can I perform better at the next thing. It's not like what should I have done different that last time? It's what should I be doing different for pulling off this next thing? What's the opportunities that I can take advantage of that I learned in that process that I can put to place? Like, oh my God, in that cycle, the training cycle, this and this and this were happening. And God, yeah, knowing that, like this next one, I'm going to crush it because I'm going to do this and this and this to counteract that and build myself to the next stage. So it's well, this, this takes right for how you, how you look at things. Well, this takes me right into what I want. One of the things I want to talk about is you have a background and I love seeing this stuff, Chris, because I love seeing people, coaches come in our industry with a different set of skills and developing to the level where you are. How did your background in engineering in an MBA help prepare you for working in, in fitness and for being a strength coach? You know, with, with, without practical experience, you know, the, those skills would add nothing, honestly, right? Uh, but if you add practical experience, there's definitely some things that you can learn from that. So, um, you know, I think the best preparation came from, you know, 30 years under the bar, uh, training myself to a world-class level, coaching athletes to that level and building a network, uh, of friends and people that I learned from that are industry leaders in, re in regards to research, uh, and uh, an application of, you know, clinical expertise. So, you know, in that network, like I said, the, the best of the best, you know, they're my friends and they, I can reach out to them at any time. I can show up at their seminars. And uh, so that's that's the best preparation. Right. But, you know, having that background, you know, definitely helps, you know, you can conceptually start understanding, oh, here's what's happening on a, a mechanical level within the body. Uh Yes. Okay. These things are a balance of stability and mobility mechanisms, right? This is the same stuff that I build when I'm building custom vehicles from, from you know, race vehicles from, from the ground up. Uh, understanding suspension and steering geometry and, you know, these points as they do this, what's going to happen through a range of motion. Um, and so from the mechanical aspect, that certainly has that, you know, that attention to detail uh, from the engineering side. Uh, as well, the project planning, the long-term planning and looking at things that all comes into place. Uh, the MBA, um, you know, maybe more so just on, um, you know, the, the, you know, I don't even know if this is actually even covered <laughs> in the MBA, but I think it has an influence on it is, uh, you know, developing those relationships uh, with, with key people. Um, so that you can continue to learn and get the, the best knowledge uh, available. Um, uh, and that's probably just a, a mad mixture of MBA and just the type of work that I did in the executive, uh, in the executive arena. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's an interesting mix. And, uh, but it's not like I just like, oh, I'm going to be a strength coach one day. Well, I've been that on the side. I've owned a gym, you know, for nearly the last 20 years, uh, you know, where I've been coaching people training and I, training has been a part of my life since I was an early teen. So, um, so it's not like a switch. So, you know, it's, again, it's like the same thing of talking about how you can apply the things in the gym to your life. Well, 
you know, if you've got that, that, that coaching going on and you're developing these, this skill set in engineering and business, you'll find all these things like, oh yeah, that plays a role here. That plays a role here. And uh, you can just, you know, develop that energy from, from that relationship. Well, you, you teach a workshop called Loaded Movement. And so how do you describe, you know, we, we kind of had a little email exchange about that. And that's what I what I found a little bit fascinating with your background as an engineer and in, in this. How do you describe Loaded Movement and what type of information do you cover in that in that course? Okay. So, um, well, the, the course is titled Principles of Loaded Movement. So the course is focused on the principles of being able to analyze and understand what's going on in the body. And then how we manage that and where we go and where we deviate based on things that may not be going to, you know, the way we want them. So loaded movement is just nothing more than simple, basic movements. And it could be any movements, right, um, where we where we're getting an adaptive response. So loaded movement is not uh, a corrective drill. That's a body weight exercise that we're not going to get any. Now, we use them and cover them extensively in the course because it's going to be able to allow you to get in positions that maybe you're not comfortable with developing an eye for the engagement of the different muscles and how they're working together to bring the proprioceptive awareness to that engagement or those positions. And now being able to pull those back into, you know, a, a basic movement. And so uh, what we try to do in the course is develop uh, so that you have, we've got a philosophy for one, how we look at the body um, or movement. So instead of going somewhere separate for doing some sort of assessment and not picking on any of these other assessment protocols out there, if you don't have a standardized assessment, like grabbing one of these tools is great, but it doesn't matter. You should always be able to analyze whatever movement your sport is or whatever your your, your training modality is, you should be able to understand what's happening in the body based on that. I shouldn't have to go do, if I need to understand shoulder mechanics or limitations and shoulder range of motion uh, on how it applies to my sport, I shouldn't have to go do an overhead squat and uh, you know a bunch of other movements to understand that. I should be able to actually see that in the movement. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then wherever possible, a lot of the stuff is all neurology based, right? So, um, you know, if we're limiting range, you know, if we're not engaging something, we'll love uh, glute engagement all the time. Glutes, 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 glute engagement. Um, <laughs> it's, um, you know, I, I shouldn't have to do a glute firing drill to make sure my glutes are firing in the squat, right? Of my le- left glutes not firing, my knees caving in. I don't need to go anywhere else. I should be able to step one is just fix it in the movement with the right cueing. So the right cueing, we can actually affect the you know neurology, right? Uh, and so we don't go anywhere. And now I'm straight there. I'm in the loaded movement still. So now I'm still moving forward, progressing and adapting instead of going, oh, well, things aren't working right, so I need to be doing body weight only drills for the next month. I'm not approved to do, you know, start start actually lifting weight yet. Um, so wherever possible, that's what we want to do. Next step, you know, is oh, sorry. Let me let me let me let me take a step back here. So, <clears throat> the biggest things that I want someone to to learn and understand, and our priority system for looking at the body is number one is we look at breathing 
and bracing or spinal mechanics as our highest priority. Why? That has the biggest global influence throughout the entire body. I can't address shoulder mechanics, you know, if I'm in extension or flexion through the spine. It changes dramatically. Same thing. Um, you know, if, I, if I'm lacking stability because I've got poor bracing mechanics, which is usually related to some poor breathing mechanics, uh, I'm going to have two, two different muscles tighten up and pull the femur forward in the hip capsule, and it's going to limit my range of motion and change the dynamics. It's going to change the length tension relationships of the muscles around that hip joint, right? So we, we've got we've to be able to, to cover that first. That's our highest priority. And why would I jump to, you know, trying to deal with a, a smaller joint issue if I haven't addressed that first? So, so we may think it's some other issue down the chain, like, oh, it's all the dorsiflexion, dorsiflexion, got in the ankle, got to got to get that fixed. Well, no, let's let's address <laughs> breathing, bracing, and spinal mechanics first. If that's an issue, we need to go there first. Very next first place that we go is for as order of priority is the foot. So most sports, you know, yeah, we'll take out swimming or some other things, but we're taking, uh, you know, we're using a base of support off the ground. Developing power through one of the big power generation complexes, which is either the hip or the shoulder, okay, taking that ground force and applying it out to the distal end, you know, out in some implement or into directly into the hand, um, you know, striking, throwing a javelin, uh, it, whatever it is. And uh, uh, so, and it may not be the distal end if, you know, we're again, we're, we're running, changing directions, all those sorts of things. So, well, let me ask. Sorry, Chris, to cut in here for a second because what I like about this is you're you're contextualizing exercise as a component of movement. Because I think a lot of people in the gym, even in a sport like powerlifting, I think a lot of people overlook the fact that exercise. Anytime we exercise, we're doing a movement, and movement is a skill that can be practiced. When you introduce, actually, this we use that. We, people, we actually use it. So <laughs> that's what I'm just going. I'm going to jump back in here. Uh, go for it. So, yeah. so when we're covering uh, like correctives or other stuff. We actually, we refer to call it uh, uh, practicing a skill, uh, it's skill development, right? And now we're going to work on developing that into whatever the movement, but we think about the same thing. Like from a training perspective, you know, if you're going to learn French, you're not going to practice it once a week. The more frequently you practice that, the more you're going to learn that skill. So higher levels of frequency, and this is where like a good choice of, uh, lower loaded movements, correctives with bands, other things like that. Because if we're pure strength training, we also have to deal with fatigue accumulation, right? So maybe we're adapt, you know, we, we push that as much as we can. So we're accumulating fatigue, but we're hold, we're having trouble holding position uh, of the spine or engaging something in a certain manner. Well, we may be able to do that a lot more frequently for a skill development with some of those other tools. And then that's going to pay dividends into the sport or the lifting or whatever it is. But yeah, we use that exact terminology in 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 our course, and and that's I mean that's important. I think we probably we probably refer back to a lot of the source materials. And who has been you know when we emailed you, you mentioned that Stuart McGill and I saw that he's on your advisory board. Who have been some of your most influential kind of like coaches or mentors as you've if you, as you've grown in the Iron Game? Um, you know the the biggest influence is just the Prague School of Medicine uh, uh, in regards to. Uh, uh, their discipline around dynamic neuromuscular stabilization. So I know mm -hmm. nearly all the senior 
uh, instructors, uh, DNS instructors, uh, Craig Liebenson, who's the one that brought DNS uh, to the United States, um, I think in the in the 90s or early 2000s. Um, you know, he's a personal friend and very influential mentor of mine. Um, so that's, that's a, that's the biggest influence, but we're not like DNS fanatics. Like this is the only thing that we do. One DNS is actually kind of anti weightlifting in general. Um, Stuart McGill is a big influence. Uh, he's a personal friend. Uh, we've had him teach clinics here at our facility, um, uh, lecture here. Uh, Kelly Sturet, uh, is, a is a big influence. He's a, again, another personal friend. He's on our, all these, all these people are on our advisory board, by the way. Um, so those are, uh, three of the biggest, uh, Dr. Charlie Weingroff out of, uh, out of New York. Uh, he's, uh, he's influenced some of my, my thinking, um, just locally, uh, Dr. Stewart, uh, or, uh, uh Philip Snell, um, he's, uh, incredible with a lot of different disciplines, um, DNS being one of them, uh, spine rehabilitation and practice around that. Um, he owns a site called fix your own back and also does a lot of work in the, uh, basically mapping the neurology through the body and dealing with superficial and peripheral neural networks and how to clean that up, uh, with, uh, either skin rolling or other, uh, other techniques, um, which again is a little bit more peripheral, like not diving that deep into some of the, the movement mechanic stuff. Um, so you, you'll notice a lot of my influence is more clinical based. And so when we started teaching this stuff and talking about it, nobody was in the strength world. Like nobody was talking about breathing and bracing. Like it was, and now it's a really common topic. No one was talking foot mechanics. Now it's becoming a common, and it takes a few years for this stuff to start populating into the normal realm. You'll start seeing people now, if you get on social media, a lot of, a lot of uh, people lifting weights and doing it barefoot. Uh, you know, no one was doing that when we, when we did that. Uh, we don't tell people they have to be barefoot, but we definitely, uh, if we're doing any sort of assessment or finding foot dysfunction, um, we'll, uh, you know, our assessments are always done shoeless so we can actually see what's going on uh, through the entire body because there's things in the foot that affect things globally. That's why it's our second highest priority. So kind of getting back into just finishing off answering that earlier question, um, you know, priorities in our loaded mechanics is looking at breathing and bracing and spinal mechanics. Number one, number two is foot mechanics. Number three, we look into the power generations, the shoulder and hip complex. Okay. Um, and then there's a whole nother philosophies around, um, you know, uh, interventions, um, uh, queuing, all that sort of stuff. So it's, uh, it's uh, about six days of material through our courses to get through work through all this stuff. And, and, then, and who, who comes to your courses? Do, 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 do consumers come? Do you do it for fitness professionals and other coaches? And who really, who, who do you find coming to take your workshops? Uh, usually about 30%, uh, 20, maybe 20 to 30% is chiropractors, physical therapists, um, maybe another 30, 40% are professional collegiate strength coaches um, or strength coaches in other fields. Then we've got uh, the remainder is a lot of uh, personal trainers. And then, uh, you know, maybe 10 or 20 percent, uh, depending on the area, uh, is going to be just like that straight athlete consumer themselves. 
they're not really working with anybody. But so most everybody, 80% above are, are professionals in the industry. Um, and then just a, a mixture from, you know, of coaches, clinicians and trainers uh, within that within that mix. Well, to start wrapping it up a little bit, you know, I want to go back to the first thing you told me about, and I love this. That you said your 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 workout partner right now is seventy years old. Is strength training and powerlifting safe for people in their forties, fifties, and beyond? Absolutely. Uh, now it needs to be done correctly, and a lot of, I mean, this is why I do what I do today, um, is because so much of this was done incorrectly for so long. Uh, so if you're uh, if you're really looking, you know, to to take this on and move and use uh, strength training as something that's additive and going to make you perform better in life and across coaching discipline. By the way, the same course is what we go teach, uh, you know, uh, our, our professional teams, sports teams. So we teach the staff of the best MLB teams, NFL, like all these, and they're not looking to be power lifters, but it's the same process and you can apply it to, to, to any methodology. Uh, that involves strength training to support athletics, right? Uh, so I would highly encourage somebody to check out our our content um, and look at uh, either our subscription-based web portal or attending one of our seminars if you really want to take this on as a lifelong journey. So. Well, I'm just looking at your schedule. I'm going to have to figure out, I'm going to reach back out to you and figure out a time when I can pop in and, and, and take a couple because, you know, it looks like, you know, I've been playing around with loaded movement, but as a contextualization of fascia lines, and this is just a different approach to it. And yeah. so I'm always open. I love the fact of like, okay, this is something I haven't looked at before. And I'd love to be challenged with a new way of thinking. Yep. And, and, uh, and I'm looking at, it, go ahead. It, oh, I was going to say, you, 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 were, you were, we were talking about skill development a little bit earlier. And uh, that kind of gets into our level three or sorry, level two course where we start looking at because uh, a lot of people don't really understand how to apply exercise selection. Um, so we categorize things by force vectors. Uh, okay. So that really helps us understand uh, exercise selection. So, for example, if we want to talk about, hey, I want to work on increasing my work capacity. Well, a lot of people automatically jump to I'm going to do prowler sprints and things of that nature. But you, you've got to understand what is my what is my sport? If squatting per se is like the end game for you, you're not actually enhancing your ability to handle more workload for squatting. Maybe your aerobic capacity and that'll have some influence, but we must understand squatting is what's called an axial loaded vector. We're loading the spine in a downward direction. Okay. So only things that are in, in, you know, attacking that axial vector or a mixed vector of an axial and maybe like, let's say, a, uh, let's say a, a bent over row where we've got a, you know, a front to back vector mixed with an axial vector is again going to start playing in a role in that. So, so, you know, we talk about glutes. Glutes are huge for hip extension. Obviously, you know, anything glute should should play a role in a, a deadlift or a squat or anything of that nature, right? Well, it, it doesn't. So if we, and the science supports this too. So like if we're doing hip thrusters, for example, we're going to get great glute engagement and development, but it's only going to work in that front to back vector, which means, again, it's going to enhance your ability to sprint, to jump long, those sorts of things, but not actually enhance your ability to squat 
more. So again, understanding this stuff. So if we, we, we started with the skill uh, piece of it, but now let's move into understanding exercise selection. Um, so anyway, just wanted to throw a little tidbit of, uh, of, of thought and kind of finish off some stuff that was in my head from a previous question. Well, no, I think that's, I think that's absolutely appropriate because a lot of people don't realize, and I don't think a lot of people understand that exercise selection in and of itself is kind of an art form, right? Because mm -hmm. when I lecture with, with new trainers, I try to get them to think about, you know, I, I use a Venn diagram of skill and conditioning. And so half the Venn diagram is, is skill and half the Venn diagram is conditioning. And there's an, obviously there's an overlap. They're not mutually exclusive, right. but right. I try to get people thinking about what are your, we need to develop skill before we go to conditioning, you know, and I, isn't that yeah. something, what do you think the common mistakes are? I mean, just from your experience, what do you think one or two of the most common mistakes are that the average person makes when they walk into the gym? <laughs> oh, that's God. a huge list, dude. It's a huge, <laughs> so I was like, what are one or two of the most common mistakes? Oh, but I God. think this goes along that line, right? Yeah. And I'm probably going to be way off because I don't walk into the common gym that often either. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I remember walking into an LA fitness in Florida a few months ago. Oh my God, that was my opening experience. So, <laughs> well, I, I, well, real quick, and then, then I, but but I've started. I, I bought a I bought a membership to Twenty Four Hour Fitness specifically because I want to watch. It's kind of like to me, Chris. I want to watch the average gym goer in the wild. It's kind of like to me, it's like bird watching. I just want to watch what people are doing so I can understand. You know what I'm trying to address in this podcast is get people thinking differently, and in order to do that, I kind of understand where people are. So I look at anytime I go to a 24 hour fitness, to me it's like going to the zoo or like going bird watching. I want to see how people interpret exercise on their own. Yeah. So I, I think the interpretation is everybody focuses on that in that end goal, like how far can I run, how fast, how can I move this bar or this you know, thing that's in this pulley handle that's in my hand from this position to this position and whatever it takes to get there is okay. And really what we're doing, you think about, you said skill development, uh, but is, is how can I hold the positions and control the positions as I go through that to be, be able to allow me to get there. Okay. Because that is the, that's, that is what we're trying to be able to develop is be able to have the resilience for that load not to allow us to deviate from those positions. And again, if we, go, if we walk back to our priority list, you know, I need to be able to hold those things in response to load. It doesn't mean I need to be in a perfect spinal position necessarily all the time, but I need to be able to be able to control and own those positions. I need to be able to control and own my foot mechanics. And then a lot of the stuff starts happening that needs to happen. But we, we see people just doing just really crazy stuff to, to throw that there or measuring the wrong thing, you know, um, you know, how high can I get that bar to go when I'm deadlifting or how fast can I get it to move? You know, if we're, if we're focused too much on that, you know, we'll be up on our tippy toes pulling it. I see this with like, uh, you know, like our NBA guys where they're measuring their speed and having them train with really light weights. Like, Oh, we're doing the right thing. We're doing velocity based training. I'm like, yeah, their poles look like crap and that's not what you would actually have them doing on the court, right? Like, or anywhere else. Like, like, yeah, they can move 185 pounds really fast in shitty positions. Like what, what's that doing for you? <laughs> they're, they're, they're gaming, they're gaming the system. Like, yeah, of course the velocity is moving factor faster when they've got a, 
you know, they're moving it to almost a clean type, you know, like setting up to move it into a clean type stuff, but position is there, is there, is they're pulling it, you know, we've got a longer momentum arm. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be better movement. We're going to be able to move more load or become more resilient to the things that we need to become resilient to. And I'm looking at you. That's, I love that approach to it. And I'm looking at the final thing I want to ask you about, Chris, is some of the equipment you have for sale. I'm looking at, you know, you seem to be, I mean, this, this definitely explains why you're known as a mad scientist of strength, right? Is I'm looking at some of this equipment. How did you come up with the, with the concept of the shoulder rock? That's one I wanted to, to ask about what, what is the shoulder rock and how did you develop, develop that, that equipment and, and what's it beneficial for? Okay. Well, let me, let me just talk a little bit about the entire line first. So perfect. Um, yeah, perfect. So most of our products are built around improving human biomechanics, getting the joints in better positions, allowing for the spine to be in better position. So we're not fighting against the equipment to be able to maintain, you know, position. So if we're bench pressing, let's say with a a normal straight bar, that bar is constantly because of how it sits in the wrist is trying to throw you into internal rotation. Losing that into internal rotation, bench pressing isn't inherently bad. Bench pressing while closing the capsule into internal rotation, nearly every single injury that happens while pressing happens when that happens, either due to too much load or too much fatigue, allowing us to lose position. This is is it, okay? Um, we, We get in a bar and we're trying to, because maybe we lack a little bit of shoulder mobility or whatever it is, we're pulling ourselves into extension as we get in there. And now that diaphragm is not working in opposition to the pelvic floor. Boom. We're not able to actually achieve the, the, the bracing and stabilization that we want. Boom. We just enhanced our, you know, <laughs> potential for having a lumbar disc issue, right? Uh, it's going to change the mechanics through the entire body. Now, the other thing is people are all different sizes, shapes, uh, different mobility restrictions, things of that nature as well. So our equipment is built around allowing for the individuality of the lifter to be able to optimize position as well as improving the mechanics of the joints so that when we're working, we're just working on engaging and moving in the way that we want to get stronger and better. Okay. So it's very unique equipment uh, in that manner. And everything that we produce is really one is like new to the industry. Now, the shoulder rock isn't necessarily new. So the shoulder rock is a play on the gata, uh, which is an Indian mace. Um, and it's been used for centuries, if not thousands of years, depending on what, you know, you know, what history you look at. Either way, it's the oldest known weighted training instrument uh, used today. Why? Because it works. So um, unfortunately... To do it correctly with a correctly designed uh, mace or gata requires that you have a ton of them because it's a very long lever for it to act on for this to happen. And so you've got to have a bunch of them. doesn't make it a, a, a realistic training tool for, 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 for athletes today. It doesn't make it realistic for gyms to have unless they're specializing in this sort of stuff. Uh, so what I did, one, there's two problems I saw. One is the tool itself. The other is the education. Nobody knew how to use. There was a little bit of people doing mace swinging. You go watch their YouTube coaching videos and stuff like that. You go try to do it and your shoulders would hurt. Your wrists would hurt because it was executed incorrectly. Um, So it was a combo of creating the right content uh, educationally around that as well as the right product. 
And again, now other companies are getting in the mace swing since we've kind of brought about the that to become a, a, a thing again. But they're making them incorrectly. So they're, it's a fixed mace, a fixed weight. And the only way to make a fixed weight mace work without ha- making your customer own millions of them is to reduce the length of the lever. Unfortunately, that's what makes it stop working correctly. So the beauty of the mace swung correctly is that it is one of the most athletic movements around. We're pulsing both contraction and relaxation. The only way you can pull off a swing appropriately with the correct mace is to actually, you have to learn to relax and relax at the right time. Now, the speed to relaxation is also related to the speed to contraction. This is classic, uh, well, I'll quote Muhammad Ali, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. This is athleticism at its finest, okay? But now we've got both a, we've got a whole lot of things going now. Now we've got this rotational movement that we've got to deal with. So we're dealing with this rotational movement. We're engaging all the muscles that support the shoulder girdle through its entire range of motion and pulsing them on and off. And that's where the magic happens. So if I just did like a kettlebell halo, because I'm like, oh, a kettlebell halo is a mobility movement for the, for the, for the shoulder. You're actually still on the entire time. There's no relaxation phase. And the biggest problem we have is with restrictions around, well, let's say shoulder or anywhere else, we start getting these patterns developing. You know, we could talk about Yonda's upper cross and lower cross syndrome and all the other stuff. But basically, if, we're, if the shoulder's not working correctly and we're starting to pull out of position, uh, get tightness, lose mobility, all those sorts of things, it's from lack of the correct muscles that are supposed to be stabilizing that shoulder being active. So other muscles are coming in. And I'm oversimplifying this. So for anybody on the clinical nature, if we want to dive more further into this, we can. <laughs> but this is this is the easiest way to explain this. <laughs> and it makes logical sense. No, you, uh, and, you're, and you're nailing it. You're, it and you're it, nailing it. But, it, but it is that, that, that those muscles are getting – so it's not just like you know stretching. It's actually learning and teaching the appropriate muscles to turn on and off in the right sequences. So this is why the shoulder rock, like used, if you go read the reviews, like just, you'll see people uh, with sloppy shoulders, it tightens up. People with mobility issues opens up. People with bone spurs completely limited, like on and on, you'll see people with needing all sorts of surgeries, uh, basically not having to have them. Why we're making a stronger, healthier shoulder joint. What shoulder issue is that not going to help? No, and that's and <laughs> I, mean, I love about that, Chris. Sorry, real quick, but what I loved about that is you talked about turning muscles off. You talk about the fact that we're trying to train the body how to go into relaxation. How how powerful was it for you to learn that concept of because we we learn you know strength training right? We're coming up, we're young, we're macho. We're like, yeah, we always need to crank and you know lift and go hard. But how much did that change your thought process to realize that the quicker we can kind of relax and flow into the movement, the more powerful we become. Yeah, it, it was huge. I mean, well, so uh, I was literally in shoulder pain every day for eight years. Uh, the type of shoulder pain that causes you to have trouble falling asleep at night. And uh, I've got to prop my arm this way and that way. Um, you know, I was a big bench presser and moved a lot of weight. And uh, I, I started, uh, you know, I'd done some base swinging a few years prior and it made things worse. And then I started educating myself on the DNS philosophies and other stuff. And I'm like, God, what if I, 
apply those philosophies with how I'm actually swinging the mace. So I went back to swinging it. And in three weeks, my shoulder pain went away. It hasn't come back. That was over a decade ago. Uh, and I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. Let me try this on someone else. So I grabbed another 500-pound bencher. I said, how's your shoulders? Uh, pain every day. <laughs> Have trouble sleeping at night. Like, ah, yeah, I know that. Here, let me teach you to do this. Comes back a couple weeks later. Oh, my God, my shoulder pain's gone. So I just kept trying another person, another person. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I need to get this out there someday. And, uh, and, and so I did. <laughs> Well, I, I played I played in the front row of rugby. I was a hooker and a prop for years, and my shoulders are all jacked. And it's funny, but learning how to do simple, learning how to do the windmill, learning how to do one um, arm presses, oh, yep, you know, learning how to you know, learn how to properly do a halo. And I use a viper. I don't use a, a mace, but I'll use a viper um, to lengthen the load. But I can't tell you, man, my shoulders. I don't have any of the residual pain that other rugby players have had in the shoulders, especially front row players. My problem this year, Chris, is as I'm re- trying to relearn how to ride skate parks, I keep falling. Ah. So my BMX, so gravity is kicking is kicking me. I've, I've separated both shoulders this summer on various falls at skate parks. You know, just because when you land, you jam your elbow first oh, yeah. and that yep. jacks up the AC joint. But I love. I can't wait to get back in and start doing the shoulder mobility work. And I can't tell you how sad I, you know, because doesn't did you notice that working on your shoulder mobility actually helps your lower body power? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. It, well, if you can't get a lot of the things require the shoulder to be in the right position to be able to actually get the spine in the right position, which then affects the hip. It, like it, it's all connected. Like. <laughs> it's once you understand and you're like, Oh, this little pinky is, con- you know, connected all through my system. And this, you know, like oh, my big toe picking up, that's a big issue. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's, it's a rabbit hole. And uh, I think our job is like simplifying it for people because it can, it can get too easy to get lost down the too far down some of those paths. And, and to wrap it up, I mean, that's a perfect way to wrap it up. Cause I think I love what you're putting out on both your personal Instagram and the Kabuki strength. What what are you trying to do with the Instagram? I mean, what's your goal with your Instagram feed? What are you trying to do in terms of putting information out there? Yeah, actually, uh, so most of our educational content is on our company and our coaching uh, Instagram. So um, I try to keep mine just kind of focused on things I'm doing in my life and uh, my training and just Chris Duffin face, you know, face stuff, you know, and uh um, but as a whole, as an organization, you know, our mission is to help people live better through strength. And we produce a massive amount. We produce uh, free educational content daily. And yes, we have platforms where we have charged and we do coaching and and all that. If you want to start diving a, a lot deeper. Um, but we view ourselves as an education company first. And we really are trying to break down a lot of the the past history of of things that have led strength training to be a detrimental thing in people's lives and uh, really simplify that into easy to understand uh, and simple tools that you can put in place today. And you don't need a PhD in this stuff, but here's, here's the straightforward output. If you want to understand the science behind it, we'll reference that. Uh, But uh, uh, that is, that is our goal is to be able to help people. I mean, you know, when you get emails and messages and all this about like changing people's lives because they've been in pain affecting their life to the point that, yeah, not training is one thing, which has a, a, a negative em- emotional response on people. But, you know, uh, uh, the, the number one healthcare cost in America, you know what it is? 
It's back pain. It's not cancer. It's not diabetes. It's not heart disease. It's back pain. And this is something that we can all have a, a personal impact on ourselves. You know, outside of getting hit by a car, um, you know, this stuff is, it happens from, you know, our lifestyles and what we're doing and is completely manageable. Um, and, uh, you know, empowering people in teaching them the tools to do that uh, is, 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 that's our job. That's what we're passionate about. And that's, we, we, that's, we hire only people that are passionate about making this change in the world. So we want to provide the tools and the education, and we put out as much free educational content as, we, as, as we're capable of. Well, Chris, it's been, it has really been fun having this conversation with you because, like I said, I've, I've started following you. I forget how I got turned on to you on Instagram, and I started following you, and, and I, I love the stuff you're doing. And, and the thing that, that struck me is, like, we live in different worlds, right? I've been in the continuing education world for years, so my job is writing, like, those workshops and stuff that personal trainers do. But you're in like the powerlifting world, and it's it's like we're 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 parallel. The way I like to describe this is we're parallel planets. We're in the same solar system, but we're completely different. Like you're in the powerlifting, I'm in like consumer fitness space. Do you have you ever noticed that? Like there's so much difference in the different like components of fitness, in, uh, it, to it, studios, it, to gyms, and all that. There is, but at the end of the day, it's it's it really is all the same stuff, and we're we're starting to explore that with all the different teams and sports that we work with. We work with Olympian throwers, shot put, discus, javelin. Uh, we work with baseball, football, hockey. Uh, uh, we've got Tour de France teams using our stuff. We've got like, I mean, it, it just goes on and on uh, once we start doing it. And the beauty of, you know, we're not a powerlifting company. We're a human movement company. We're just on the, the, the loaded side of things because there's a couple of lessons that I think people can learn there because I see this a lot of times where, People think that they're doing it or they think that they're managing things, things appropriately until we actually apply some load. And they're like, oh, my God, I really wasn't, you know, engaging and in inflating my core and working my obliques the way that I should to hold these. I thought I was. I thought I was doing this stuff because we get the closer we push to those limits of our capability, the more that, uh, that we find out what we are doing and what we're not doing. And so and it's, all, and it's all about scaring yourself a little bit, right? a little bit. Exactly. So, so it, it is, it, it is all compartmentalized because again, you know, we're working with people with different objectives and different goals and all that within each of the kind of these spaces. Um, but the concepts that we use, these are the same concepts that the clinicians that we use are going to use with a 65 year old grandmother that comes in, uh, that's in, 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 in back pain. Uh, he, you know, they're going to teach her the concepts. This is deadlifting to be able to pick up your grandchild, to pick up that bag of groceries. Uh, these are basic human movement patterns. We all need to know how to squat and pick something up off the floor. And that's such an important thing. Well, Chris, I really appreciate your time today. Chris Duffin with uh, Kabuki Strength. Uh, I really appreciate the time today. Can you throw out your social media handles and your website yeah. of where you want people to go to get more information about what you're doing? So um, a lot of uh, the links to social media and stuff like that should be on the website. But uh, uh, Kabuki Strength, K-A-B-U-K-I Strength.com is our main website. Um, we... Uh, my, my personal Instagram is mad underscore scientist underscore Duffin. But if you just type in Chris Duffin, I'm sure I'll be the first thing that pops up. Um, I have a pretty, pretty big following there. We're on YouTube. Uh, uh, 
I don't interact much, if at all, on Facebook, but uh, I do use LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, the company accounts, if you just type in Kabuki, I'm sure that they're going to pop up, but uh, Kabuki Strength Lab is the company account. Kabuki Virtual Coaching is our coaching account. Those are the ones that have a massive amount of uh, educational content. Um, so those are those are all the links. Uh, you can find my best-selling book uh, that is out, The Eagle and the Dragon, on Amazon.com. Uh, so again, that's The Eagle and the Dragon. Uh, this is not a training book. This is a book to better your life, uh, to better your 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 personal relationships, your business, all these sorts of things. Um, so really powerful book. It's bestseller in five different categories right now. Uh, so uh, cool. uh, highly encourage people to check that out. It's a really, really engaging read. And it's going to be covering stuff that you're going to put to place in your life. So. Um, yeah. And how powerful was that? I'd love that shot of you, of you on your Instagram page. And I assume that's, that's one of your children you're holding, but how powerful is it when you first saw your book in the bookstore? Like how cool did that feel? That That's pretty damn cool. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's the largest, uh, largest bookstore, independent bookstore in the world actually, um, uh, goes back and forth between that and uh, one in New York. But, uh, uh, you know, that was pretty damn cool. My, me and my wife went in and she was almost in tears when I pulled it off the shelf, you know. Um, so it's uh, it's this has been something I've wanted to get out there for a long time. So uh, Kabuki strength is about the physical nature of strength, living better through strength. But that's my personal message as well, is how we use uh, stress and challenges in life to become better versions of ourselves. And the book is attacking the mental uh, emotional and even spiritual aspects uh, of that, that I'm not able in, in those, in my opinion, are more important than uh, getting in the gym. Uh, so we need to be well-rounded in all areas of our life. And that's the Eagle and the Dragon. And I'm going to have a link below to that below in the show notes, Chris. Hey, thanks for your time today, man. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And I definitely am going to stick my head in and uh, catch one of your workshops because I love what you guys are doing and, and the approach that you guys have towards fitness and strength training. Awesome. Be uh, looking forward to seeing you. Before I get into the wrap up with some thoughts about that interview, for those of you that are interested in learning more about fitness, more learning more about movement and just how you can move better, and, and more importantly, or most importantly, what I try to talk about and what I try to teach and write about and, and lecture about is how exercise can slow down the aging process. You can manage your aging process. You can manage and improve your quality of life with the right type of exercise and the right type of workout program. And that's what I write about in my book, Smarter Workouts. So there's a link below to my book. I'm going to have links below to uh, Chris's information. But my book, The Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple, is how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. Boom, done. So if you're looking forward to that, look below in the show notes. But this is really, uh, given given everything that's going on right now you know, in America with mass shootings and all, all this stuff, this, to me, is an extremely important interview from the fact of the way that Chris grew up. You know, Chris grew up homeless. Chris grew up having to look for his own food. And you know what? I didn't want to go down that path that much in this discussion because, let's face it, folks, you know, we've all had, we've all gotten punched in the gut one or two times in our life. We, we've all had issues happen to us. We've all had, you know, some of us have, have had horrible things, horrible, horrible things happen to us. And it's not so much, I'm not never, whenever I talk to somebody like that, I'm never really worried about what happened. You know, what happened is really irrelevant. 
The important thing to me is how did somebody overcome that? What did you do after that? Yeah, you got punched in the gut. Yeah, you got stepped on. Yeah, you got kicked, whatever. That doesn't matter. That happens to everybody. You lose a match. What do you do? You get back up. You analyze it. Where did we go wrong? How can we do it better? And what can we do moving forward? That's the important thing to take away from this discussion. There are going to be times in life when we fail. There are going to be times in life where things don't go our way. What are you going to do? Hang your head and beat yourself up? No. Pick yourself up. Have that attitude. You know what? That way didn't work. There's got to be another way. You know, what, ten, what, did, what did Thomas Edison you know, say? You know, it took me 10,000 ways to figure out what didn't work before I found the one that did when he talked about inventing the light bulb. You know, why that's so important is that really relates to our mental health, right? Well, that's such a big issue. When you look at what Chris has done, we look, that's what, where I wanted to kind of go with that conversation was like, when you look at training goals, whether it's powerlifting or any other type of exercise, if you have goals, if you have challenges, if you scare yourself a little bit, I love the fact that we talked about fear a little bit. You fear the weight on the bar. Because if you fear something, you are going to be highly motivated to try to overcome that. Or you're going to be highly motivated to work to do what it takes to get ahead of that. Look at our greatest society. We don't challenge ourselves enough. We don't put ourselves out there enough. Instead, what do we do? We get isolated. We get lonely. We get depressed. You know, but we, you know, when you talk to people who train regularly, when you talk to people who work out regularly, that work out with friends, that go to their gym, that have goals, yeah, we all have our issues. Yeah, we have some down days. But, you know, look at the positive energy that comes out of that. You know, as we look at this, what I really want you to think about, you know, from this conversation is the positive things that exercise can bring you. And I'm not just talking about fitness and health and what you're looking like. That's, you, if you've heard any of my podcasts before, you know that I'm all about performance. In my mind, fitness is freedom. If you're fit, you have freedom. You have choices for how you live your life. And that comes down to a psychological and mental health standpoint, too. You know, if you're fit, if you're going to the gym, you have a wider social network than you realize. I can't tell you how many people I've gotten in over the years at the gym. I may not know their names. I don't know that much about them, but I see them three, four, five days a week. They're neighbors. I say, hey, how you doing? How's it going? How's, you know, have a nice day. Think about that social interaction. You're connected with other people. You know, we need more of that in our society. With, this, with the modern culture of social media, media and isolation and all this stupid stuff going on. Man, getting to the gym and working out or starting an exercise program is a way to get yourself out, to put yourself around other people, to give yourself challenges. It doesn't matter whether you're strength training, walking, running. Having physical challenges gives you the ability to crush it in other areas of your life. Pick up a copy of Chris's book. Pick up a copy of my book. But understand, you know, understand that you have the choice for what happens to you. You have the choice for what happens to you. If you got a thousand pounds on the bar, you have two options. It's going to crush you or you're going to crush it. If you're in the iron game, if you exercise regularly, if you, if you are focused on your fitness goals, you are ahead of the curve. Because not only are you healthier from a physical standpoint, but you're healthier from a mindset standpoint. You're healthier from a mental health standpoint. And that's a huge takeaway. You know, this is a big issue. You know, you're looking at looking at gun violence, looking at violence in our culture, there is no one thing that's going to solve it. But one of the components, a component of that could be social interaction. A component of that could be exercise. Exercise benefits your health and especially your mental health. Social interaction puts you around other people with like-minded goals. Those two things alone can steer you in the right direction for what you want to do in your life. And that's one of the greatest rewards we could ever get. Thanks for stopping by. I look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.